to 2 Samuel chapter 21, 2 Samuel 21, and uh, we're going to look at the first 14 verses of this chapter, and I've titled this message, God is Keeping Records. You know, sometimes we look around us and we say, boy, these people are getting away with murder. Look at what they're doing and look how they're living and it seems like they, they never get caught or nothing ever happens. There are no consequences. We know that's not really true. But we ultimately know this. God's going to make all wrongs right one day. God's going to correct everything. One day it will all be made right. He knows what's happening. He is keeping records. And uh, he knows what uh, good things uh, we have done. He's keeping record of that as well. He knows the sorrow, the tears that we shed. I know in, this, in the book of Psalms it mentions that, uh, how he catches those tears. And, and he knows uh, everything that's happening in our lives. And uh, there will be a uh, payday someday, uh, good and bad. And that's kind of what we see in this lesson here tonight. But before I get into it, these last four uh, chapters of 2 Samuel, they look back over David's reign as king, also even earlier in, in his earlier life, and they're not arranged chronological here. The events that we see now from this to the remainder of, or to the end of this uh, book are arranged thematically, and so they have different themes. We'll see that. But the first episode probably uh, took place during the early days of David's reign as king, uh, probably not long after he uh, took in Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, the crippled son. And it's one of those Bible stories, honestly, that it's just kind of hard to hear. Um, you read this passage, and you go, it just is really hard to, uh, uh, for the story, just, just one of those difficult stories. And it tells of the hanging of seven descendants of King Saul. Seven sons or descendants, uh, they, were, um, they, they were hung because of what Saul did against the Gibeonites many years earlier. So let's read here in 2 Samuel 21, uh, verse 1 down through 14. Then there was a famine in the days of David three years. Year after year, boy, you can just hear that, oh, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, Now the Gibeonites uh, were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Am Amorites, and the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore, David uh, said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We, uh, we will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither shall or no, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And he answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coast of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up, uh, up unto the Lord in uh, Gibeah of Saul. 
whom the Lord did choose, and the king said, I will give them. That's kind of hard as you read this story. You're thinking, boy, uh, why would he do that? But we'll talk about that in a moment. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them and between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rispa, the daughter of Ai, whom uh, she bare unto Saul, Armani, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for uh, Adriel, the uh, son of Barzillai, Barzillai the Meholathite. Um, um, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rispa, the daughter of Ai, uh, took sackcloth and spread it for, the, for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rispa, the daughter of Ai, the uh, concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, uh, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshean, where the uh, Philistines had hanged them when the Philistines had slain Saul in, in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged, and the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zela, uh, in the uh, sepulcher of Kish, the father, and they, uh, his father, and they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. A very difficult passage, but uh, I, I was reading a story. I thought it kind of fits in here, and I may mispronounce the name, but you, um, if you had followed uh, news in the past years here not too long ago, uh, Jean-Claude, and it looks like Junker, but he uh, was the former European Commission president. And he once revealed, as he was being interviewed, he revealed that he, keep, he kept a book with a list of people's names in that book of people that had wronged him, uh, people that, that uh, had done him wrong and, and uh, that crossed him in the past. And so it's, it, it kind of sounds like a joke, but it's real. Uh, he was one of the most senior officials in the EU. He walked around with a book of names of, of men and women, I suppose, that had been mean to him. And uh, uh, Junker, he said in the interview, I have a little black book called La Petite uh, Maurice, where... Uh, for the past 30 years, I have noted when someone has betrayed me. He, he goes on in this interview and he says that the uh, book isn't really full uh, because people rarely betray me. Then he continues to, uh, to defend himself. He went on, he says, I'm not vengeful. <laughs> oh, of course not. I'm not vengeful, but I, I have a good memory. And so the, the book became so well known during his time as the uh, uh, prime minister of Luxembourg that he, uh, he would tell people attacking him, uh, be careful, little Maurice is w waiting for you. 
And so now as we look at this account of David and, and how he avenges the Gibeonites here, it kind of feels like, did, does God have that little black book? He's keeping those names in there. And boy, he's, he's waiting for the opportunity just to smash those individuals to get rid of them. And, and that's not it at all, obviously. The, but uh, uh, God, nevertheless, I, I, want, I think it should be made clear and is so in this passage. He does not wink at sin. He, he does not believe that sin is ah, it's not that important. It's not that big a deal. Now, we categorize things, don't we? Oh, that's a really bad sin. That's a murder. And maybe down here, oh, just a little white lie. And then all those in between. And uh, so down here, oh, they're not so bad. But in the eyes of God, a sin is a sin. And God does not uh, and will not tolerate sin in heaven. And he does not tolerate sin in our lives. Uh, there, it, there are consequences as a result of sin. But as we'll learn here this evening, we'll learn that, I believe, one of the main points. But the first thing that we'll see here is that there will be atonement for the offended. Now, the offended in this passage is the Gibeonites, but I think even in those, uh, through all the years, you think of those martyrs, those that were burned at the stake, that were drowned as they tied chains about them and stones and threw them in the river uh, because they did not... Uh, baptized babies. They went against the church, not God's church, but they went against the church's doctrine. And you think about all those martyrs down through the years, and um, there will be an atonement. Uh, there will be a payday. We'll see that here this evening. But verse 1, it says, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. Now, we're not exactly sure when this took place, but as I said earlier, many believe that it was around the time of his early days reigning as king, right after or not long after he took uh, Mephibosheth into his care. And the time, though, is not really that important. When the famine happened is not that important. The point made here is the hardship that it caused all the people. For three long years, and you can hear that in that phrase, year after year, food was in short supply. People were starving. It, it was what we call, um, I guess we would classify it today as a natural disaster, like the floods and fires and earthquakes and hurricanes and, and all those other things. There's nothing that we can do to completely avoid those things. And I, I always get a kick out of people say, well, I never lived someplace like Kansas or Illinois because of those tornadoes. But then they move down to Florida, where they not only have the hurricanes, and they have sharks in the water and alligators in the, in the freshwater. Um, you can't get away from all those things. But uh, the natural disasters, and in California, my, you've got earthquakes and fires and, and uh, hurricanes there as well. But you have all kinds of things, these natural disasters. They can't be... You know, we cannot avoid them altogether. And, but just as we cannot control these things, these catastrophes, I know we've come a long way as far as being able to warn, and that helps, being able to warn people of, the, of those natural disasters that are, are coming. Um, this famine, though, certainly was beyond David's power. There was nothing David could do about this famine. And, uh, and I, I don't think it's a stretch even to add in these 
these uh, catastrophes, this uh, pandemic, this uh, coronavirus. And I, I don't know if I would classify it as a natural disaster. I think uh, man had a lot to do with that uh, coming upon the earth. But nonetheless, now that it's here, it's one of those things we cannot avoid. Uh, people think they can hide from it. Well, uh, it may work sometimes, but isn't it interesting? Even people that have done their best to avoid being around any contact still have contacted the virus. Um, so we, we cannot eliminate all risk. But who can eliminate any, you know, all risk in life? Uh, to, to get out of bed uh, is, can be a risk, right? You can take a shower is a risk. You can fall in the shower. Uh, don't they say there's more uh, accidents that happen in homes than there are anywhere else? And so uh, anyway, my, my point is this. These are things we cannot avoid. But while the famine here was beyond David's power, David knew someone that had power over the famine. And, and so, he, of course, he had a relationship with God. Look at verse 1 again. What did David do? What did David do when he uh, realized the famine year after year? What do we see David doing? He inquired of the Lord. Yeah, he prayed. He's calling out to God. Now, the language of that text is uh, interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a, that of a subject seeking an audience with a sovereign. David cries out to God. And he wanted to know what could be done to stop this disaster. That's what we did when we faced this pandemic. We didn't know what to do. We didn't really know what we were facing. And so we called out to God. A great uh, advice here that we see in David, a great example he sets for us. But it's important to keep in mind that we may not always know God's purpose for a disaster. We, we may not know what God is trying to do uh, through some trial or through some difficulty or, or, or even in this pandemic. God was not taken by surprise. I know I've said that many a times, but we need to remind ourselves of that. God didn't, in 2020, didn't uh, wake up one morning and said, oh my, I didn't realize this was going to happen. He knew all along. He allowed it for some reason. We may never know the reasons till we get to glory, but it's important to keep in mind that uh, we may not always know the purpose uh, of these disasters that happen. We just have to have faith in God. Trust Him. Look at Job. What a great example Job is. Did Job know what was going on in heaven? No, he didn't know. He didn't know that uh, the devil was, was challenging God or God was saying, hey, look, have you noticed my servant Job? And he didn't know that God was testing his faith. All he knew was the pain and the misery, the sorrow of all this loss. And, and so now it was revealed to us, the reader, as we read the book of Job, but Job never learned the reason for his own suffering. In fact, as far as we know, not until he got to glory. Uh, so just as Job learned to trust that David, or not David, but God had a reason. God had a reason for doing all these things, taking all my children, uh, taking all my, my wealth and, and uh, my health and all these things, and, or for allowing it to happen in my life. So we must learn to trust God. I, I know many of us, we, we've thought in our mind that maybe we've even said it, God, that's not fair. 
That's just not fair. And, and then you look, what even makes it harder, when you see these low-down scoundrels, wicked individuals, who seem to have just be sailing smooth as can be, everything going their way. Well, and again, we need to remind ourselves that's not the case at all. Uh, they may have it, uh, may look like they're having it good right now, but the end is a horrible end for the unsaved. And so we need to learn to trust God when a disaster or a trial or a, a difficulty or even in this pandemic, when it comes our way. We don't have the answers. We don't know what's going to happen. Just have faith. Trust God. That's what David did here. And, um, and that's what Job did, obviously. But thankfully, the Lord did answer David's prayer. And this is where the difficulty of this story begins. There in verse 1, the Lord said, It is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. Now, the, the famine that lasted for three long years was due to something that King Saul had done many years prior to this. So then we read in verse 2, and the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them. So what, what's happening here? David's wanting to address the problem with the Gibeonites. He, he calls them. And um, God showed David that Saul had committed this uh, atrocity against the Gibeonites. And this thing needed to be corrected. It had never been dealt with. And uh, now uh, they were paying the price. But before we hear about David's the conversation he has with the Gibeonites here, uh, we are given a little bit of a background information there in verse 2. Uh, look with me again in uh, first, or 2 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 2. The king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, now there's parentheses here. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel. So it gives a little bit of background. Of course, we could turn back. We're not going to tonight, but in Joshua chapter 9, uh, we see a lot of the the uh, fill, fill in the history of the Gibeonites, the background there, Joshua 9, verse 3, down through verse 27. But after four centuries, and, and this was, so four centuries prior to this, uh, the people of Israel, you remember they came into the promised land, they took over the promised land, they were supposed to wipe out everybody, um, and uh, uh, driving out all the, the local peoples there. The Gibeonites deceived them. They were the ones, you may recall, they come in and they pretended that, oh, we are traveling from a far country. And uh, they even uh, put the clothes on them. They wore out and their shoes and stuff. And they got Joshua and the Israelites to make a covenant with them, with the Gibeonites, that they would not be exterminated. So they, now it was, it was uh, a deceit. They did use deceit with Israel, but the covenant was made. And then a little while later, the Israelites discovered, hey, we've been, we've been hoodwinked. We've been lied to, deceived. But because of the covenant agreement with the Gibeonites, they did not kill them. They did not exterminate them, but put them uh, to forced labor. Now, for some unknown reason, it's really not stated here. Saul, King Saul, he decided to strike them down in his zeal and... Um, it says, for the people of Israel and Judah, and he killed an unknown, untold number of Gibeonites. Probably his intention was to wipe them out off the face of the earth. He's wanting to get rid of them. We don't know all the reasons why. But um, nothing had been done to correct 
this injustice. You know, you think about it, even, and I realize, thank God, we don't have to answer to the sins of our fathers. Now, the consequences may affect us, but we don't have to answer to their sins. But I wonder sometimes when you see some great atrocity that has occurred, whether it be a nation, a city, or even a family, and it's never been dealt with, or it was hidden, it was kind of swept under the rug. And then the troubles and the trials that seem to hang over that city, that, that uh, uh, nation, uh, for years, uh, you, makes you, it does make me wonder anyway um, if they're, they're not paying for the price of that atrocity that never had been dealt with. Well, that's kind of what happened here. And of course, it's different times, different dispensation. We're talking about the Old Testament laws. Um, but nothing had been done to correct this great injustice, uh, although God told David that the reason for the famine was because of Saul's slaughter of the Gibeonites. He did not tell David what to do to correct this injustice. So look at verse 3. David says to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Now that word, it struck me there, that word atonement. And it's used here in the sense of making amends. David wanted to know what he could, what he could do to make amends uh, for the injustice that had been done uh, to the uh, Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites, they wanted to stay within the system of justice. They're working with the king here. But notice what they eventually say there, uh, again, in verse uh, 5. And they answered the king, the man that consumed us, uh, we, uh, and he's talking about Saul, uh, we should be, that we should be destroyed from the remaining on, uh, in any of the coasts of Israel. Set, or let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them. And so... Here is, where, again, where it really gets hard to swallow. David agrees for seven men of Saul's sons, literally Saul, King Saul's descendants, to be hanged. Why? To make an atonement, to make amends uh, uh, to the Gibeonites for Saul's sin. Now, again, it's, it's hard for us to grasp this especially in our dispensation, because as I mentioned earlier, we are not guilty for the sins of our parents. Um, and we, uh, we may suffer, as I mentioned, from the uh, consequences of their sinful behavior. But in Old Testament times, the family was held as a corporate unit. When one sinned, it affected the, all, all the families, especially the sins of the head of the family, uh, it, it did involve the whole family. Uh, you remember Achan? When, they, when the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and they run in there and Achan stole all those, the garments and the silver, all those things and hid them in his tent. Do you remember what happened when he was discovered? I, I want, yeah, what happened? Yeah, he did. He, him and his whole entire family. Um, I wonder many times if he had repented, he may have still lost his life, but it might, might have saved the lives of his family. But he, he, it wasn't worth it by any means. In Joshua chapter 7, we read about that. But uh, he was put to death along with his sons, along with his daughters, for his sin. And uh, 
trials or difficulties or disasters or whatever comes into our life, um, can those things happen because of unconfessed sin? What do you think? Yeah, they can. Is it always because of sin? No. You know, now, there are some that want to jump on that every time. Some of Job's friends. Uh, Job, now we know you're a low-down, rotten scoundrel. Why don't you just confess your sins? Uh, and, and so they are assuming it's because of the sin. And so do people today. Ah, we knew you, it was going to catch up with you one day. They don't even know what they're talking about. But it's almost like they take delight in the suffering of people, and uh, they're just assuming, uh, may it be because they assume that that individual is living like they are because they have unconfessed sin, and maybe they uh, realize, uh, I, I don't know, I'm just, again, speculating myself, but uh, nonetheless, uh, they, uh, uh, it's not always because of sin. But what a good policy it is for you and I when something happens in our life, I, I, I mean, things, you know, whatever it is, a, a, a tragedy takes place a trial that we're, we find ourselves in the midst of. It's a good policy to inquire of the Lord. And ask God, you know, is there anything in my life that is bringing this on me? Is it because of some sin? Lord, reveal that to me. And that's a good thing to do. Um, but not always is it because of sin. And, and so now, it's, you know, we, we live in a fallen world. Sometimes it's just because we live in a fallen world. Uh, that these things happen. And, but we should never assume that difficulties are never because of sin, because it could be. Um, we should always go to the Lord in prayer, ask Him, um, you, know, you know, if our difficulty is because of my sin, unconfessed sin. And then we should go to the Lord in prayer, ask Him to show us that sin and confess that sin and get right with God. So, atonement for the offended. God... Uh, uh, again, had not forgotten this atrocity that was committed, the slaughter, you, we would use the word today, the genocide of the Gibeonites. Uh, Saul, King Saul, wanted to kill them all. And uh, so there was a payday, and it was to come upon the nation of Israel through a famine. And then seven people had to pay. That, and this is what I want to look at, payday for the guilty. Oh, they may be riding high now, and things are going smooth, and they're having all the money and all the things of this world to enjoy and the pleasures of this world, but there is a payday for the guilty. The reality is we all are guilty, but we have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledged our guilt before the Lord, and confessed our sins, and he has forgiven us, he has saved our soul, and wiped the slate clean. Jesus Christ died for our sins. So our sins are paid for. But the unsaved, they're guilty, and they stand guilty before the Lord uh, and will have to pay for their sin unless they get saved. So before learning how the punishment is carried out, we learn how David honors this oath, uh, unlike King Saul, who had violated this covenant agreement with the Gibeonites. Look at verse 7. It says that the king spared Mephibosheth. Why? Because of the Lord's oath. And Jonathan and David had pledged loyalty to each other at least on three occasions in, in, in 1 Samuel. 
And after Jonathan died, and after David becomes king, David takes Mephibosheth, brings him into his home, sets him at his table, gives him all the clothes, all the wealth and everything, and takes care of him for life. But clearly, one lesson we, uh, I believe that we can learn from this passage of Scripture is that oaths, vows, commitments must be kept. Well, how easy it is for us to make a promise with no intention to keeping it. Some people are good at that, making promises, but never keeping them. And I'm not just talking about politicians. I know that is, they're at the forefront because we see it so vividly before us. But it happens. Saul disregarded the ancient covenant. Saul says, well, that, that, you know, that's, that's way back then. I'm going to annihilate these people because for whatever reason. Uh, but God did not take kindly to Saul's disregarding this covenant. This was Saul, or God, recognized this covenant that was made to the Gibeonites. Uh, just like God recognizes marriage vows. And um, just as God recognizes when we join the church and we make a vow that we're going to live a certain way uh, to represent, number one, God and the church. Just as God uh, will recognize even the promises that we make. When I make a promise to you, I, I believe that God expects me to keep that promise. Now, I realize there may be things beyond my control that I may not be able to keep that promise, but I need to do everything within my power to keep that promise. That's why we should not be so uh, quick to just throw out, uh, come down to the altar and, oh, God, I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. I'm, uh, God's going to hold us to it. And so it, it, he takes it uh, serious, and, uh, and marriage is serious, all these things. But the Bible quickly takes us back to this horrible account here in verses 8 and 9. Let's read them again. Oh, Rizba, the daughter of Ai. This is, a, this is just a sad story. But it, it seems that David took seven of Saul's surviving descendants, two sons named Ar Armani and Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, uh, Jonathan's son, Jonathan, who knows, Jonathan could have named him after this uh, brother that um, uh, he had great respect for at that time. But nonetheless, uh, this is another Mephibosheth and five unnamed grandsons from Saul's daughter, uh, Merib. And so the, uh, the Bible describes in pretty gruesome detail of the execution of these seven men. The Gibeonites carried out this execution just as they had, had proposed. Their... Um, this was a terrible event, to put it mildly. And verse 9 says, They hanged them in the hill before the Lord, and they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest. Um, I think one of the points that we should take from this is that God holds the guilty accountable uh, for sin. God holds the guilty accountable for sin. The guilty will be punished. Now, we all were guilty. Now we're sinners saved by grace. Praise God. We don't have to worry about hell any longer. But the unbeliever, they are going to have to pay for it because they're not under the blood. And it's a horrible thing to think about. But this is one, at least one truth I can see from this passage. 
it, it is possible that um, these seven men who died, who were hanged, it's very possible that they had something to do uh, with those, uh, uh, with the Gibeonites being massacred as they were. Uh, so it, it could be that they had the blood of the Gibeonites on their hands. We don't know that for certain, but we do know they paid the price nonetheless. Um, maybe they, uh, uh, they, you know, they could have, they could have uh, protested. You say, they, here's the argument, right? Just as they did in Nazi Germany, the Nazi soldiers said, well, we, we had no, uh, no, no uh, reason to, or no way to get out of this. It was ordered to us to, to slaughter these people to gas these Jews and, and to kill these multitude of families. But they were held accountable, and so they should. Because they could have protested and said, yeah, but they would have put them to death. That's right. That could have happened. But uh, better to die with those uh, folks than to face God with, the, uh, with guilt or with the, the, uh, definite, the blood of those, uh, those people on your hands. And, uh, and, of course, if you're saved, to die is just to be with the Lord. But they may have, these, these men could have protested. They could have said, I know this is, he is my father or this is the king, but I cannot do this. And, um, but under Old Testament laws, God held them liable to what uh, happened here. So we're no longer held guilty, praise God, for the sins of our parents. Uh, we are held responsible for whose sins? That's right, our sins. Uh, you're responsible for your sin. It, it's like uh, uh, when we stand before, the God, uh, before God one day at the judgment seat of Christ, we're not going to be answering for other people's sins, but it's our sins. We're not going to be able to say, well, God, you know, it's my wife that caused me to do that. No, no, it's my sins I'm going to be paying for. It's what I did. And so I, I stand uh, before the Lord uh, accountable to my sins. So don't think that God forgets about sins. Don't think that God's a grandfather in heaven who just kind of looks the other way, smiles, and says, well, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. And, you know, they're human. No, God, God uh, does not take it lightly when we willfully sin against his will and ways. Uh, so he will hold us accountable to every sin that we have ever committed. So don't think you're getting away with anything. Let me close with this last thought. There's a reward for the devoted. Now, this is a sad part of the story here, verses 10 through 14. Uh, verse 10, this is an extraordinary thing that one of the mothers did, and possibly she was out there for as long as six months, watching over the dead, decaying bodies. Uh, can you imagine doing something like this? Protecting your sons and your step-grandsons, these decaying bodies there um, for six months. Kept the birds off of them. Kept the wild beasts away from them at night. And she stayed out there. She did not leave their side. And that, my friend, is, is real devotion. David recognized that. Uh, yes, they had sinned. Maybe they, they, were, they were guilty. That, may all, that was all true. But uh, she loved her family nonetheless, and she was devoted to them. And, and uh, uh, it, so David um, uh, comes, and he's going to take action now. It didn't take away her sorrow, but it did bestow some dignity uh, upon those that were killed. It seems to me that we um, must 
support those that have experienced loss. Um, you know, David, once he realized what was going on here, he did come to her aid and recognized her grief. But um, sometimes we uh, tend to, uh, you know, forget about those that are going through a real difficult time because of a loss like that. And it's real. And so um, uh, Rispa lost her husband, Saul. That happened many years before. And now she lost her two sons and her five step-grandsons. Uh, they um, were guilty, and they were put to death, but she was devoted to them. She loved them. Um, you know, I, I never, it never ceases to amaze me. I'll never get old or used to it. When you see someone die and you see family members who won't even go to their funeral or won't even go to their deathbed uh, because they have some little thing that they are feuding over. It's nonsense. It's silly. Life is too short. You're here tonight. You have a, uh, anyone in the family. Do everything you can. I know there's some that you, you can do every, you know, try, but they've got to come to a certain point. But, but forgive them nonetheless. You say, well, well they, uh, they were wrong. Yeah, maybe so. But forgive them because it's going to tear you up one of these days. And, um, but here, the story, uh, this story ought to cause you and I to examine ourselves. Uh, something's going through our life, and a trial, uh, some tribulation. Examine your life and ask God, is there, is there some unconfessed sin that's bringing this into my life? And so when, whenever trials or difficulties or disasters or even, again, the pandemic that we see happening here comes into our life, we ought to always examine our life to make sure we're right with God. And we, we need to ask if these things are happening because of unconfessed sin. The good news of the gospel is that our sins, amen, have been paid for. And we're not going to have to, we will not be punished for our sins because we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're under the blood. And while we may still be disciplined by God, we'll never suffer the uh, total consequences of our sin, that is, uh, death and hell. We'll never have to endure that internal punishment. So, and of course, for those that aren't saved, that's why our hearts should go out to them and encourage them to trust the Lord before it's too late, or they will have to pay for their sins. 